Hi, everyone. Good to see you all. Everybody okay? Wow, that's great. You guys are awesome. Excellent. <laughs> and hi to everybody who is also joining us online or listening after the fact. Glad you're here, too. Um, today is the fourth Sunday of Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter. And if you've been with us, you'll know our play on the traditional idea of giving up things for Lent is our second annual giving up popular yet unhelpful beliefs about God for Lent. And we're, we're giving them up, and we don't want to go back to them like I would go back to chocolate if I were to give up chocolate for Lent. We are trying to construct new beliefs in their place. And today's topic is health, wealth, and prosperity messaging. Uh, for anyone who follows us on Instagram, uh, we always have an image of the week we release uh, ahead of the upcoming Sunday. Did anyone catch the connection between last week's image of the white muscular God in the sky and this week's image? Anyone? You can call it out if you know it. The, the money is definitely involved. If you're super nerdy, you, you, it, it's actually, it's, it, it's better if you didn't catch it. You, you would be a super nerd like me if you could. Both are, uh, pretend, are plays off of Michelangelo's uh, frescoes in the Sistine Chapel. We had our image of like the God handing money to Adam, which is uh, it's pretty funny. And then last week we used this famous image from Michelangelo's um, Sistine Chapel ceiling uh, that is like the white muscular God up in the sky. So there's your nerdy moment for the week. You're welcome. Uh, so, for today, uh, I want to begin by um, quoting somebody. In 2013, um, the historian uh, Kate Bowler wrote the book Blessed, A History of the American Prosperity Gospel. And she chronicled and even interviewed some celebrity televangelists like Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, T.D. Jakes, Paula White, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Since 2013, uh, Bowler has continued to write and speak really insightfully about the American prosperity gospel. Highly recommend her podcast, Everything Happens and Then For a Reason is Crossed Out. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, uh, so she's got a great podcast. Uh, especially um, Bowler, after she was diagnosed with stage four cancer, she began to speak even more insightfully uh, she began to reckon with how her own theology is in fact shaped in part by health, wealth, and prosperity messages, simply by virtue of growing up in our modern grow, 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 accumulate more, curate yourself and your image um, culture. That's what we all kind of experience. And yes, there are the extreme examples of 80s televangelists like Jim and Tammy Faye Baker that might feel easy for many of us to criticize, but Kate Bowler doesn't take cheap shots. Instead, she writes like with a lot of humility and a lot of understanding about what's really going on with health, wealth, and prosperity messaging. So here is a passage adapted from her 2018 book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. It is true that the prosperity gospel encourages people, especially its leaders, to revel in private jets and multi-million dollar homes as evidence of God's love. But among the less well-heeled believers, I sensed a different kind of yearning, one that wasn't entirely materialistic. Believers wanted an escape from poverty, failing health, 
and the feeling that their lives were leaky buckets. Some people wanted Bentleys, but more wanted relief from the wounds of their past and the pain of their present. People wanted salvation from bleak medical diagnoses. They wanted to see God rescue their broken teenagers or their misfiring marriages. They wanted an iota of power over the things that ripped their lives apart at the seams. What they wanted was reassurance that if they prayed and believed and lived righteously, they would be rewarded with some measure of comfort. Now, Bowler really compassionately points out, I think, that the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel is not a problem over there or out there. It has a pull for anyone who longs for reassurance, any one of us. And there are subtle temptations toward this messaging all around us, like in any church or tradition that teaches or models praying for healing or for favor or for any given prayer request, including some of the traditions that have formed who we are here at Brown Line Church, like the Vineyard, for example. There's, there's temptations toward this messaging there. There's temptations toward this messaging in plenty of secular messages that we experience all the time as people who experience some ungodly number of advertisements every moment of every day, like the massive self-help industry. Like, there are temptations toward this. There are so many examples that touch all of us every day of health, wealth, and prosperity messaging, trying to reassure us in our uncertainty. It's just that health, wealth, and prosperity reassurances that, that we just need to keep praying, or that God's help is right around the corner. It just, just hasn't come yet. Or everything happens for a reason, right? Like that classic phrase. It's just that those reassurances are usually destined to be dissatisfying. That's the problem with them. That's the intuitive like thing that you feel like, wait, this can't be right. Like This is predatory, right? That feeling that you have. It's not okay because this is setting people up to just keep craving reassurance, keep craving reassurance, but always to be dissatisfied. Unless, of course, you experience enough comfort or enough privilege in our society or, frankly, enough luck to hold off that dissatisfaction. But honestly, that's sometimes where the most crippling experiences of dissatisfaction set in, the, the, the worst versions of that. Because pretty consistently, like in our society, a white American middle-class man like me can make it into your 30s before you ever experience really great suffering. That's never happened before in the history of the universe, that you can make it till 30 before you experience great suffering, like a, an actual closed door, something can't happen for you, or a failure, or the death of a loved one, or some serious, like world-changing thing, like illness or, or betrayal or something like that. It is wild that people can make it to their 30s now, if you look like me and you experience life with privilege the way I do, before you ever experience something like that. And when, when, when that happens, then when someone does come face to face with suffering, having never been prepared for it or learned how to practice what do I do when things like that happen, then a unique and harmful bitterness can take form. This sort of like, I, I have some sort of entitlement that I shouldn't have to suffer. And that is, that's the worst version of being dissatisfied by health, wealth, and prosperity messages because it can lead to scapegoating others for the pain that you feel you shouldn't have to experience. That's what's really dangerous. So this is why our focus today is giving up the unhelpful beliefs of 
health, wealth, and prosperity messaging, whether religious, like prosperity gospel churches, or secular, like the self-help industry. These are destined to be dissatisfying. And to help us give these up, and then more importantly, to help us, um, as we've been saying, live ourselves into new ways of thinking, live ourselves into new beliefs about God that can satisfyingly meet these needs for reassurance, these needs for hope that we all have, uh, I'm going to ask two friends from Brownland Church who are going to join me uh, one at a time here. Uh, one is going to help us to lean into the wealth side of prosperity messaging, and then the other is going to help us lean into the health side of prosperity messaging. So first, I'm going to invite up my friend Lester Mitchell. Let's give Lester a hand as he comes up. Lester is also working double duty today because he played drums. I didn't even know that when he was going to join me, so thanks, Lester. You're working harder than I am. Uh, thanks for putting me to shame. Appreciate that. Um, as someone who spent time uh, as a kid within Wealth and Prosperity Messaging, um, Lester has eyes to see the subtle ways that I think this is, uh, this is around us in popular American religion and like life broadly. Um, and then he's also among the more theologically minded people in our church, and we've heard from him before here on Sunday, so we're always happy to have you up here. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so can you tell us about your experience? Like, a, just give us a little bit of a picture of what it's like to have grown up I around a lot of wealth and prosperity messaging. Yeah, so um, if you've been here a while, you've probably heard me speak about this before. If you're new or newer, um, I did grow up in a wealth and prosperity church. So Vince talked about it just a few seconds ago in terms of the different churches, but pastor had a jet. <laughs> had a Hummer, because um, those were cool at the time. Uh, Hummers were really cool for a little while, were really they? cool yeah. at the time. Uh, eventually got a second jet, I heard, <laughs> after I left the church. Um, also, it was very normal uh, during services for us to, you know, um, collect money for the church. And I think that's fine in most church settings, but what was normal for me to see is like piles of cash mm. at the altar. Um, and this general feeling that our the pastor, of it, like, yeah, like just in it's, front of you. yeah, it's something about uh, seeing people like lay down a thousand dollars of yeah. their hard earned money yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the church um, that kind of, you know, messed up, kind of perverse, yeah. um, because there was already so much wealth at that church. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah wow, that's, that is a striking image to kind of get us in, in the feel for that. Um, so like that, I mean, I know you, you and I have talked about this before, but like that being a part of what has made you you, you, you have a lot of um, a unique perspective on being able to see the way that this is true. You know, it's not just that problem out there, but like mm -hmm. we were talking about, it's kind of in a lot of the air that we breathe yeah. in America. Um, it was like, what are some examples of like subtle ways you see this all over your life? Um, I don't know if this is that subtle, but hustle culture. Hustle, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, this, this idea, if you just like work harder and harder and harder, you'll eventually make it eventually be rich. And I think we also need to question about this like need to be rich. Mm -hmm. um, not everyone, it's impossible for everyone to be rich, right? Everyone has the chance to maybe possibly uh -huh. make it, uh, or at least that's what we're told, but it <laughs> is impossible for everyone to be rich. And mm. so 
I think, yeah, hustle culture, like work harder and harder, you'll make it. This idea of like a successful business being good just because it's successful instead of questioning maybe how it got its success um, or what that does for other people. Uh, there's this idea that I think conservatives um, say more blatantly, but I would say exist for like the entire political spectrum and just the American space in general. Mm -hmm. um, this idea that like the market will handle it. Yep. And so because of that, we have this thought that a successful business must be successful for a reason. And we didn't really think about that it may have crushed a small business and actually leaves us with like less options in our life, both like your employment um, and yeah. Interesting. So like we, we don't even question if something's successful, it must be, you know, to use the, the religious language, it must be blessed. It right. must be um, there. Th that that's a good thing, and uh, and we never, yeah, we 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 very rarely stop and ask, like, well, what actually got you to that point? Is that right. okay? Yeah, and it, it's uh, something that I kind of um, wrestle with. Yeah, yeah. At times, because it's very easy for us to say, "Hey, God has blessed me." Yeah, and. For me, I grew up middle class, so I had a relatively comfortable life. So it, you know, it, it's something that I wrestle with to Absolutely. say, oh, I've been blessed. And I have people who are really close to me in my life who were not so lucky in terms of how they grew up. Absolutely. Um, and so why do I deserve that blessing? Why is that a blessing that, you know, they don't get to experience or didn't get to experience at the time. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a challenging place for, um, like you said, the, the, the middle class person who is kind of, uh, we, we talked about this a fair amount back in December when we were, uh, we were looking at the Christmas stories and how they, 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 um, they talk, they, they have these undertones about economic justice yeah. and how um, the, one of the great challenges, and we can see this in the Gospels and stories like Zacchaeus, who is sort of the, like it, it's different if we're going back to first century Rome, the time of the Bible, but there's a lot of parallels between Zacchaeus and people today uh, who are middle class, right. where uh, Zacchaeus is sort of caught between the working class, uh, the masses, mm -hmm. and the uber rich, and has this really, like it seems like Zacchaeus for most of his life chooses to live in solidarity with the uber rich yeah. and try to be that future uber rich person. But then he has this, this heel turn when he meets Jesus and decides I am going to choose solidarity with the working class and with the masses and how difficult that is for those of us who are middle class in America to follow in Zacchaeus' footsteps. It's very difficult. It's, a, it's not, um, the path is not an obvious one for like what do we do in any given situation. Yeah, I find it incredibly difficult <laughs> <laughs> to actually do that. Yeah. I, listen to a lot of uh, lefty stuff and liberation theology, but it's really hard to actually put that it's into hard. practice because we've been taught this like uh, never enough yeah. kind of like oh. mindset and you, you always want to accumulate more because you can always lose it. Yes. Um, and especially for us in the middle class, you know, in America, the middle class is kind of shrinking. And so a lot of us feel this like, 
I have to hold on. Yes. Um, Protect what's mine yeah, at all costs. Exactly. Even whenever, you know, we may be doing just fine. Yeah. And that's something I struggle with for sure. Protectionism is sort of this thing that squeezes out perspective. It allows, mm. it makes it really difficult to live in solidarity with right. those who are less than you because you're so afraid. Like, well, I can live in solidarity to a point, but I need to protect, it, you know, fill in exactly. the blank, or, th or this needs to have firm boundaries around it. And so, um, so it, beco it becomes really like, I mean, to, to protect is not necessarily a bad thing, but maybe it's like on and it's on hyperdrive in our lives right now, and we can't yeah. we can't think clearly as a result of that. Right. That feels like prosperity messaging going on. So, so here's a, like to bring it back to um, faith and how we how we mm -hmm. like live every day in faith. Um, am I falling victim to this every time I pray for a friend for their job interview or like request prayer for success in some project or something like that? Uh, I would say yes and no. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think it really it's because it depends sure, on sure. the situation. Sure. Like I do pray for everyone in my life to be able to take care of themselves. And so, like, if your friend, you know, has a new job and now they can afford therapy, or maybe this new job provides health care that they didn't yeah. have before. Yeah. Like, I think those are all good things, and I wouldn't put that into like hoarding wealth or anything yeah, like yeah. that. But I do think we need to start questioning the executive getting another million dollars, sure. like praying sure. for that. You sure. know, I think it, it's easy um, when you're around people with privilege, you still want their lives to actively get better because that's kind of what we've been taught. I don't think it's necessarily bad to want their lives to get better. But I do think we have to start questioning that, and especially the part of um, prosperity gospels that kind of makes you feel like you deserve it. Hmm. Okay. Because yes. you've been good and praying and et cetera. We need to question what deserving it means. Yeah, yeah. As we as we get that, um, as we bring that, bring the prosperity messaging closer and closer and closer to where the 99% the of America live. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's not with the uber wealthy or those who are looking for their second private jet, right. you know? <laughs> uh, yeah. But like getting closer and closer and closer, it's almost like the, the, the question becomes muddier and muddier around like, so is, you know, is, is me praying for this, you know? Like, right. I, like I have a fair amount of, of power. Like I am technically an executive of a company, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and like, so what, you know, where, where um, it, it gets, there's not a clear answer in every situation, but yeah. I do think that I love your suggestion to be mindful of the fact of whether you're feeling like you deserve X, Y, or Z. Right. Those are that that should raise a red flag yeah. in our head um, if 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 any if there's a deserved kind of feelings behind a prayer. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot. That's the yes and the no. I um, we uh, a couple of the 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 perspectives about God and about life that we've talked about during Lent so far. Yeah. Um, the, one interesting uh, thing we could do is like compare and contrast American prosperity messages yeah. with those views. So we've talked about liberation views on uh, on Jesus and on the Gospels. And one of the interesting um, compare and contrast we could do is liberation views are they do make the argument that God's blessing it can it should be material yeah. in the idea yep. that like if you are the poor or the oppressed in the world then your the good things for you from God shouldn't just wait till the afterlife there should actually be a material difference to your experience of yeah. life 
And so in that way, it's similar to the prosperity gospel, which is all about like, you know, material benefits. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a pretty clear distinction between like jockeying for the poor to get what they need and uh, jockeying for the second private jet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think uh, it, it's interesting. It wasn't until we talked about doing this talk, but yeah. I thought about growing up in a wealth and prosperity church and then like, a little over a decade later, later, I get interested in this like theology that's also very material. Um, but yeah, I think a big difference is this idea of the preferential option for the poor. Preferential option for the poor, um, yeah. That's that, an important phrase in liberation yeah, theology. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. and I think that's really where it separates them, because like you said, they're both material. And I think in both of them, your suggestion suggesting that God does want good for you materially. Mm -hmm. um, but with the preferential option for the poor, I think it's small, a small phrase, but super important because it keeps your mind on the least of the. Yes, yeah. Um, instead of just, I deserve the second jet. I, because I deserve good. really feels yeah. like an important phrase to kind of look for in our right. own in our own thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. That's really good. And then the other thing that you brought up is you kind of compared and contrast with the view of God that we were talking about last week, where yeah. God is not the the uh, muscular God up in the sky who can determine or allow all things, but rather God is the God who is of solidarity right with us. And yeah. how there's some there, the similarity there is like that that view of God is trying to help us understand that like God is always good, but it just does so from it, its response to why God is always good is really different than the prosperity gospel's yeah. uh, message of God is always good, which again, often leads us to dissatisfaction. Yeah, because it, the prosperity gospels, instead of um, in liberation theology, I, I feel how I've interpreted it is that it's a little bit more communal. Mm, communal, um, yeah, yeah. Because you're concentrating on the least of the, it's like how do we help out the least of the? And I think in um, prosperity gospels, what ends up happening is how do I be better mm. so God mm. can bless me? Mm. Um, and so what we talked about last week in terms of, I'll say it's like puppet master yes, God. Yes, yeah. I feel like in prosperity gospels, you're waiting for God to bless you because you've been so good. Yeah. It's a little bit more of a puppet master yep. thing instead of God being beside you through yep. hardship and as you try to help others. Yeah, 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 that's good. Um, if we were to play around with this phrasing we've been using all Lent of how, how would you recommend we live ourselves into new beliefs that are, that are trying to be mindful of and, and throw off these wealth and prosperity messagings? What, what would, how would we live ourselves into these new ways of thinking? Um, I would take the, again, to go back to preferential option for the poor, I would uh -huh. take that super seriously. Mm. Like, let's really think about how our actions, um, our prayers, our prayers, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the things we support, mm. how those affect the poor. Mm. Um, and watch what you kind of consume, because we're in the United States, we consume a lot of things that just want us to keep consuming and keep uh, accumulating yes. things. Yeah. So I would watch those two things. That's 
the easy one because mm -hmm. that's changing your general mindset. I think the hard one is actual action yeah. behind it. Yeah. That is extremely difficult for me and I would assume for everyone. And so like a, a example of that is I'm lucky enough to have a decent paying job. Like I said, I grew up, I'd argue actually upper middle class. And so I'm in an economic position that I may actually be able to be a landlord in some future. Mm -hmm. um, that's something my dad did and it allowed him to go from an immigrant with only like $100 whenever they came to America to being able to retire well mm. and help me through school. Mm -hmm. And so being a landlord, something I've thought about for like quite a while uh, because that's what my parents did and it seemed to work out. It seemed to be a great way to like build some wealth as a middle class person. Mm -hmm. But if I'm gonna take my preferential option for the poor. Yeah, yeah if you're I'm going to take that, that yeah. seriously. Yeah. Then I have to question what that means when mm. I become a landlord. It's not and just about building wealth for you. Exactly. And it, that's really difficult. That's something yeah. Laura and I have like batted around a lot. Like mm. if, if I am still going to be a landlord, what am I, what do I charge? Yep. Is it yep. just enough yep. to like pay the bills? Am I padding extra what happens um, if you're a person who's lucky enough to actually pay down that second home mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now the only expense is like a couple hundred dollars but you're actually charging like a thousand what about the overall market yeah. if the place yeah. you own is in a nice neighborhood the market will allow that cost to go up but nice neighborhood it? yes All those questions yeah exactly yeah, yeah, and yeah. so but like, should the costs go up? Um, what does that do to that shrinking middle class? And ultimately, what does it do to the poor as mm. well? Because all of that stuff kind of compounds down. And mm. so if I'm taking my own kind of religious beliefs seriously, then it, it's really making me question a lot of my current and future yeah situations you and meant, that's tough yeah you mentioned before just that that vibe of like the market will take care of it and i do think that that is maybe the most subtle ways that wealth and prosperity messaging does just kind of affect the life of yeah. a person in america where it we never really stop to even question the idea of yeah, I mean, you're just supposed to you're supposed to do this because you get a good job, and then you're yeah. supposed to get a good job because you then you can retire, and you're supposed to retire so you can build uh, or get a good retirement uh, package so you can build wealth, and then you hand off that wealth to your kids, and and there's no and like I mean there there are virtues to that, right? Like yeah. there are absolutely virtues to taking care of our future generations, yep. but it is very individualistic, not communal, as you said, and it's very it it's um it, it's not taking into account these other things like the the preferential option for the poor, that God, if we are taking this more liberation view of, of the Gospels, is longing for us to see and longing for us to operate in. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's tough because, like both theologies kind of mentioned, I don't think God wants bad for you. Of course. I don't think of the course. idea yeah. is for us to, like, all be poor. Yeah. Um, and so what becomes difficult, especially for any of us who are middle class, is, like, you're 
e- you either have power or you're like near power. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little bit cleaner and easier if, if someone's you're super rich. poor or, or, super, or super rich. Yeah, yeah. If you're, it, where's the key? Where we're caught in between. Yeah, exactly. Yes, Being yeah. caught in between actually makes it really hard oh, for us to live yeah. out this theology because we are both afraid of losing it Mm -hmm, um, but mm -hmm. we do have privilege and that means we have to question ourselves and our decisions that's right that's right and even going back to like deserving it another personal example is I I found out that I wasn't making as much as I guess I should according to the market yeah yeah and And what do you do um, in that situation (laughs) yeah I mean I asked for more money is exactly what I did in that situation but um something whenever having uh conversations with other people about it uh something I would say and something Laura would say also is like let's remember that we're doing fine Mm -hmm. like Mm. I have that we're doing fine. Mm. Yeah, I have mm. enough. So regardless of what happens, mm. I I've already been lucky enough to make a decent living. Yeah. Like we have enough. Um, yeah. Because that type of idea of like, oh, the market allows me to have more, so I should I just more. have yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. Um, that I think that helps. Mm, it helps widen the gap between yeah. like the rich and the poor. Yeah. 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 That's, I think that's super insightful. Lester, we're, we're grateful. Thank you for your thoughts. Let's give Lester a yeah, hand. Thank we you for having me. It. So uh, wealth and prosperity messaging. And then now what I want to turn us to is the other side of this is health and prosperity messaging. So to help me with that, I'm going to invite up another friend. Let's give Brittany King a hand as she makes her way up here. Brittany. So as, uh, as someone who is an activist and has skin in the game of activism um, and somebody who's just like... Even, even just in the last weeks as we've been talking about this message, you've taught me a lot. Uh, I'm really glad you're up here. Thank you, Brittany. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so a couple of weeks ago, um, maybe I'll, I'll set Brittany up with uh, a quote. that's something that you and I passed back and forth. A couple of weeks ago, um, uh, we read from biblical scholar Jennifer Garcia Bashaw and her book, uh, which is called Scapegoats, The Gospel Through the Eyes of Victims. Um, And uh, I want to read a challenge that she makes to prosperity messaging uh, that comes from a chapter in uh, in her book where she's looking at the gospel through the lens of disability studies. She writes, another way the church has misinterpreted scripture is by fetishizing the healing of the sick and disabled rather than seeking inclusion and acceptance for them. A foundational concern in disability studies is the recognition that disability does not concern only the physical impairment of an individual, but includes the social and cultural factors that make life more difficult for people with disabilities. Accordingly, scholars use the word impairment to refer to a biological abnormality that inhibits normal function in the body. They use the word disability to describe the social and structural impediments that people with impairments face. A disability, then, is not something in an individual's body, but something people experience because the world in which they move is made for people who are able-bodied. 
Bashaw then, um, she unpacks the way Jesus' healing ministry in the Gospel of Mark consistently addresses the social and the structural. And, uh, and he, Jesus not only heals impairments, but challenges social taboos of like physical contact and presence. And then she, she concludes with this sentence, our focus should be on healing disability, not impairment. And uh, Brittany, when I shared this with you, when we kind of went back and forth about this, you immediately were like, oh yeah, this reminds me of things we talk about all of the time in activism, and the, why doesn't the world know what we talk about all the time? Because it's amazing stuff. Please, can you educate us a little bit on what you know in activism circles? Okay, so I can start with my background. I was born with sickle cell, so that's technically an invisible disability mm -hmm. in that you can't see it in my day-to-day. -day. I grew up to the age of 10 doing what most normal um, children do, and then I was diagnosed with a special case after they found a abnormal transcranial Doppler and then I was put on transfusions monthly and then I had a stroke nine years later in college at the age of 19 and then my physical disability kind of surfaced mm -hmm. after the stroke. So I think that when I was learning about disability history and rights because I was just um, immersed in that in 2010 when I decided to join the movement of disability. The Capitol crawl was the biggest thing hmm. that came to mind hmm. when you were... We have an image of it here. I'm going to yes. put up. Yeah, yeah. So that's like the most popular. Well, it's how the ADA got officially signed into legislation for us. Yeah. Can you tell, tell us more like the... Um, there, there are some... There's an old model of what, the way we used to talk about uh, disabilities and then uh, the ADA starting and the, and the Capitol crawl and some of these big historic moments of the last 30 years have changed that, right? There are new models that we talk about now. Right. Can, you, can you teach us a little bit about that? So before my, dis okay, so before my stroke, there was just the medical model and the that's that model. the person with the issue should be fixed hmm. Hmm. and then I think after my stroke, the social model became very popular mm. in that it's not my problem that the Capitol crawl, for example, it's not my fault that the staircase is not something that I can climb yeah. because yeah. of my disability. It's a societal thing of we do the Capitol crawl so that we can get to voice our opinion about our rights. And so in that, I think it was yeah, so July 90, uh, fun fact, I age with a disability, was signed in July 90. Hmm. And so it was, so the ADA was on the table of however, on the president actually. And so in that, I know that a lot of the community went to our state capitol in Springfield and it was just a staircase. And we hmm. wanted to voice our opinion in the fact that we want this ADA signed because we deserve our rights, much like the civil rights and other rights. Sure. And we couldn't voice our opinion because of the just staircase. Can't get up the stairs. And yes. so people yes. just started crawling out of their chairs yeah. and climbing up the Capitol to make the point of, yes. it's not me, it's the it's issue the, it's is the, the staircase. Yes. yes. Yeah. So that's the, that's the social model, as you that's said. That's the social model. And little, then I think yeah. recently, and when we decided to have this conversation. There's a new cultural model, which was new to me, mm -hmm. but I realized that it is interesting to bring up because 
culturally, we can do better for each other. And I think that I'm not surprised that it's a new model. And I'm glad that there's new things being discovered mm -hmm, in mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the realm of disability in general. Yeah, I think the cultural model, it says, um, the, if, if you, can, you can look up sort of things like this online and, and see the evolving um, picture of disability studies and disability activism. The cultural model would take even, go even further than the social model to say, the problem is not just that our social structures don't make space for uh, differently abled individuals, but it's also the problem is representation. And so it kind of takes this capital crawl image and really, really like it's, it, the, the issue is not just that they have to climb to, uh, to make their voice uh, heard and there's, you know, the, there's this massive set of staircase, but the issue is that nobody was there at the table in the first place mm -hmm. to even you know make clear like hey have we thought about this have we right. thought about that there are many bodies and many different ability levels in our world right yeah and so and I think that's a lot of what I do in my day-to-day -day of the work that I do as an mm. activist is I make sure that someone is at the table someone is at the or table. Yeah. I'm working my way up to be at the table yeah that's yeah. my yeah. mission no, another thing that you mentioned to me as we uh, we passed around this idea of, of um, uh, thinking about health messaging and and how health and and being fixed and that medical model is tied to uh, the kind of prosperity that we all we it's hard for us to a second guess. You said uh, you used a phrase person-centered ideology that um, has been meaningful for you and has been helpful. Can you tell us more about that? Of course. So I was actually talking to my mom a couple weeks ago and she actually volunteers with the deaf ministry at our other church. Mm. And she was just so distraught. And she's like, Brittany, I'm in the group message. And, and the lady is continuously saying, hey, deaf people. And so my mom was like, I felt some type of way because they know they're deaf and they don't need to be <laughs> continually reminded that, oh, you're deaf and I'm speaking exactly to you. And this morning we talked about it on the way in. And I said, mom, did you say something? And hmm. she said, yes. And she said that she had to tell them that from her standpoint, this is what she would do. And so she had to educate them. Yeah. Of like, you yeah. can't just be like, hey, girl with the wheelchair or like Greg's here. Hey, man, with the chair. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I think a lot of the conversation sometimes, even when we were talking before, is that adults especially kind of look away from people with disabilities mm. because mm. it becomes this taboo thing. Mm. And then I was also realizing that me and Greg are approached by children a lot because Greg has the coolest chair in the world <laughs> and most of the time kids don't see a wheelchair yeah but yeah. we invite questions yeah and then even in our day-to-day -day on the CTA if you if I'm in a chair and I have on nice shoes you can tell me that I have nice <laughs> shoes like I'm not gonna be upset and so it's just the interaction yes of social as well it's kind of interesting but I think that it's important to note that you need to focus on how you're interacting with people with disabilities because that affects how the next person will interact. If you, if you know that Greg is Greg and he will invite people to talk to him and sometimes Greg doesn't wanna talk and like we have different ways of interacting sure. with people but you have to like get to know me. Sure. And yeah. so I think to know that the person. person, yes, yeah. that yeah. person yeah. first especially in the community right now, is that there are different, and I know there was a time in the community where they were like, are we going to be called people with disabilities or mm. are we going to be called the disabled person? Mm -hmm. And I know mm -hmm. that goes a lot into like 
also special ed or diverse learners. Yeah, there's lots of discussion it's of too language. Much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's too much, yeah. It's too much, yeah. So, yeah. and it's just individualized. Yeah. Like, what do you, do you want? I prefer to be called by my name. Because yeah. if you know my name, just yeah. use my name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. And then the pronoun, like, it's so many other, there's so many layers of identity. And so your encouragement is, from a person-centered ideology, is to let the person themselves de uh, define how they would like to be identified. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can only do that by getting to actually know somebody, yes, have right? have a conversation. Oh, yeah. also, I have a note here is just to connect with someone with more than just, oh, my grandma was in a wheelchair when I was seven, and mm. it's like, okay, <laughs> I'm not 70 years old, but okay. <laughs> right, right, right. So right. find another thing to connect on, because yeah. then sometimes you turn people off if you um, symbolize me to some old person. Sure, sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And well, and that, I love that because you're getting into that idea again that we've, uh, we're returning to again and again in this series of how do we, how do we live ourselves out of, like I, I think most of us, the, the picture of, of health and prosperity messaging in our life, we have inherited that medical model. We have inherited this idea that we're, we're missing the idea that the, the grander thing that needs to be addressed is the social structures. And again, going back to like how this plays out in church settings of this idea that like if, if I see somebody who is sick or impaired and the, the, the way that the church meets that person's need is by fixing them, there's a problem there. Yes. And, 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 and I love this idea that if, you're, if anybody is curious about this, there's um, uh, particularly if you if you if your time in church uh, growing up has spent a lot of time in, in settings where you you were taught to pray pray for for God to move and I think there is a lot of room to believe in such prayer and believe that that matters in a way that like can be can be an impactful part of a community going forward but what I would encourage you to do is 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 pick up this book scapegoats uh, by um, uh, Jennifer Garcia Bashaw, and particularly this chapter where she, she goes through the Gospel of Mark and sees the way Jesus is, in every case, looking to the societal and social structures that hold people down. And when there isn't a healing of, of an impairment, it is not because that person needs to be fixed. It is because this person is excluded from, the, from, from society. And that is what, like when there's this, uh, one great example is uh, there's a story where a woman reaches out who has been suffering from uh, bleeding for, uh, for it says for many years, and she reaches out and touches the, the cloak of Jesus, and then she's immediately healed. And there's this moment where Jesus turns around and, and, uh, and, and, and draws attention to what has happened, but she, he does not rebuke the woman for touching him. And this is just as important as, as, uh, as, as we get this picture of this woman being healed, it's just as important that she is not rebuked for touching him. Because all of the rules in, in this uh, cultural and religious landscape would have said she is unclean and Jesus is important and they shouldn't be anywhere near physical contact. And so there, that is an example of social and societal uh, uh, disability being challenged rather than uh, an, an impairment being fixed. Yes. I think it's interesting because early in my disability journey, I was still in school, so... I was actually on the way to school and some guy stopped me and he was like, hey, don't you know if you pray to Jesus, you can be healed instantly? Wow, really? That happened? Yes. Wow. And I felt, and I, okay, so this is random people. This is uptown. So I think it was Holy Spirit that just came upon me and I said, 
I have work to do in this body and mm. the way that I am. Mm. And so God has given me authority to do something with what I'm supposed to be doing mm. in the way that I am. I understand that if I pray to Jesus, miracles happen. And so I realized in that moment mm. that I have become more spiritual. Mm. And so I decided to get back to church. Mm. Wow, that's like a that's like kind of a tipping point moment mm -hmm. for you. And it was almost because somebody somebody confronted you with this model that was so just like, like, uh, I mean, foreign to you, thankfully, but like hurtful to you. And, and to try to, to try to turn that around and see God moving in quite the opposite way. That's yeah. powerful. It was interesting because uh. it was just when I had started in the disability activism and yeah. rights and stuff. And I was like, I'm on a mission here. <laughs> I'm not worried about Hold your on. God issue. is over here, not yes. over here. Yeah. 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 Wow. So I thought that was really interesting. That's really good. That's really good. Well, Brittany, like we said to Lester, we are so grateful. Thank you so much for like teaching us about, oh, uh, we, uh, there's also an awesome video that you sent me about the Capitol crawl in particular, and I'll have, uh, I'll have Ed drop that in Discord as well. So thank you for teaching us and for sharing your experience as well. We appreciate it. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you. So we're kind of left, I think, as we, as we're, leaning into these messages that, again, are not just out there. They are subtle and all around us. I think where we're left is, where can we find reassurance that there is hope in life? And what I want us to, what I want us to sit in is that usually, in America, prosperity is what is used to reassure us. And what we want to move toward is that liberation is what can reassure us better. Liberation can reassure us better. Health, wealth, and prosperity messages inevitably their reassurance is to do so with like things that will dehumanize us over time because we're just keep wanting to accumulate or we keep looking around and just seeing things that are broken and need to be fixed. But what is different about liberative messages, things that get us to put your reassurance in liberation, is that we see that for those whom material ch uh, change in, in like what they have would, would fundamentally reorient their life in a way that saves them, that we can pray for. Because there are many people for who do not have enough materially, do not have enough in the way of human rights. And so we can absolutely be praying for those things. But then sometimes for others of us, it's not only material things. It's it, it, from a liberating framework, sometimes what some of us need to be liberated from is material comfort and riches. And we can pray for that as well, which can bring us a more reliable reassurance, all of us, those who need to be lifted up and those who, the exalted, who need to be humbled. And we don't have to be tossed by the wind of our material circumstances. We don't have to constantly be wondering, what do I deserve and why am I not getting it? We can find a more reliable reassurance in God is so much larger than the material things that like just grab me all the time. And so there's this sort of dual thing happening that we, we often point to, as, as Lester was mentioning, the, the, the preferential option for the poor in liberation theology. This idea that, uh, that Jesus spoke of, of the last becoming first and the first becoming last, the humble being exalted and the exalted being humbled, this great leveling of the playing field is what we put our hope in, not just because that is more just socially, but also because that is, that is a reassurance that can actually feed us. We personally will experience that better. That is better for us personally. There's more joy and more satisfaction and more, more like consolation in life 
if we are putting our hope in that framework, rather than the accumulate, 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 protect, 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 and, 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 and the, the shreds of this medical model when it comes to how we look around at those who are sick or disabled. So we're putting our hope in liberative frameworks rather than prosperity frameworks. All right, all of that um, in our minds for this week and hopefully, you know, uh, sifting around uh, for us all week, I want to pray for us in that place. So would you pray with me? <clears throat> well, as I pray, if it helps you to um, close your eyes, feel free to do that. If it helps you to just like focus on a little corner of the room to limit yourself from distraction, all we are doing in prayer is we are paying attention. And so I encourage you to pay attention to what is, what I, I believe God might be circling around inside you as we've discussed this morning. God, help us to pay attention now. Draw us in where we feel even uncomfortable or where we have more questions. Draw us into the places that have been um, stirred up in this conversation that feel difficult or feel scary. Draw us into the places where um, maybe we feel charged, we feel excited. It's not about like this feeling difficult. This is like, yeah, like I, I'm, uh, this is important to me. May we pay attention to what is happening inside each of us. Would we feel in a deep way as a community, but also as individuals right now, we are not alone. We are not figuring out how to do our lives or make the hard decisions of our lives, just us, and it's up to us to do it as best we can. We have a God that deeply cares. We have a God that deeply cares, especially for those of us when our identities are marginalized or have less privilege in the world that we walk around in. And we have a God that is for us deeply, those of us who are like Zacchaeus, trapped between the elite and the working class, and we, our choice is, who are we going to choose solidarity with? Help us, like Zacchaeus, to see Jesus, you drawing us to choose solidarity with the working class, to choose solidarity with the messages that say, blessed is not having more and more and more, Blessed is when we find that we are not alone in even the worst places, when we find that there is help for us, even in poverty, even in sickness, even in great challenge, even in discrimination. That is where God is. I pray, um, I pray that you would help to make this more concrete and practical for any of us. These are really big things and it can feel difficult to put one foot in front of the other. Help us to, to feel that this is something that we can make uh, moves on this week, that we can, with integrity, make a choice that, uh, that is in line with what you are drawing us toward now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.